Welcome to the Church Times podcast. I'm Francis Martin, a reporter for the Church Times. And last week, I interviewed the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, at the end of a five-day trip to Ukraine. You can read full accounts of the trip in the Church Times. If you don't already subscribe, you can try 10 issues for £10, or get two months of access to our website and app, also for £10. Just go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Archbishop Justin, thank you for joining me. Can I ask, with everything else going on in the world right now, and indeed at home in England, why did you feel it was important to come to Ukraine? Well, exactly because it is part of everything else going on in the world right now, it is uh, the single bloodiest conflict using the most advanced weapons with the greatest impact on, for instance, food security in Africa and for Europe and the UK, including England, the highest potential for very, very serious outcomes uh, if there is not peace in a way that gives justice and security. What changes did you notice from the previous visit you made here in November, December 2022? I think the mood is more... Realistically hard nosed and consequently dour about the length this is likely to last, the, um, the enormous mountain there is to climb to achieve security and the objectives of Ukraine and the colossal human cost at all those. Can I ask you about that, that human cost? Mm. Could you perhaps talk about how that affects people all across the country, in all different walks of life, all different ages, and at all different levels as well, not just soldiers on the front line? Well, we were very much on the home front, as it would have been called in the 1940s, in that place where you're subject to air raids, people get killed, but you're not wading up to your knees in mud. There are not drones, warfare drones, armed drones stalking you on the whole. Now there are for many people that, for example, at the end of the visit we met people who have been evacuated from areas like Kershon and um, from the banks of the uh, Dnieper River where they were under continual shelter. So the civilian population, as well as obviously the military near the front, suffer 
continual harassment and fear from shellfire, it traumatizes the whole nation. But almost everyone is caught up with the war in one way or another. I saw a woman today um, where their car, while they were driving, had been hit by a drone. It had burst into flames. They'd managed to extract themselves. Her husband had been quite seriously wounded with the loss of his left leg below, below the knee. She was all right then, but as she carried on, since that time, she has been wounded three times, going back to her village to help people still there. I mean, that is just people, I suppose, who have been hurt. There was someone else I met today whose brother is at the front. Well, I didn't ask her, it would have been incredibly tactless and, and intrusive. But I suppose she wakes up each morning thinking, I wonder how my brother is. I was playing with a child with in front of who was there with all the others. Uh, and they were saying that whenever there's a bang, the trauma of having been in the village and the entire village destroyed is seen in his reactions. A woman whose daughter was killed in the evacuation by shelter and who just sat there with shaking. Um, it was a man, her husband was there, just not speaking. That sense of powerlessness, of all your plans for life being completely and permanently changed by the action of invasion. I found that that sense of life is profoundly uncertain, unpredictable, and uncontrollable has been overwhelming this week and it, it's really imprinted itself in my mind. Do you take any hope from what you've seen and experienced? I think I continue to draw all the hope I have in all parts of life, not just this week and in other terrible places like Gaza or Myanmar or the other innumerable places. I draw my hope from the faithfulness of God and the love of Jesus Christ, not from human events. Because when you look at those, it is very hard to see hope in a sort of normal sense. Yes, determination. Yes, admiration for the courage of people. But hope in the normal conventional sense that, you know, there might have been in, I don't know, it's long before I was born, but in England in 1944, 
you know, when you could see that D-Day had happened, the Russians were advancing, it was reasonable to assume you could see the end of this. It's very hard to see that at the moment. What one can see is the need, the potential impact on the rest of Europe, the very high risk, no, not very high, that's the wrong word, the very significantly increased risk if Ukraine is not supported with every strand of strength that this could end up in a general European war, a NATO war. I think that's a really important thing, you know, the, this time much more than last time, and I was very conscious of it last time, but it's an orders of magnitude higher. You're aware that the Ukrainians are paying in blood for our security, and they depend on us paying with determination, with courage, with money to enable them to resist this attack. In the context of all this, what can the church, what can you personally do in terms of supporting people perhaps at the local level here in Ukraine, but also on that political level that you kind of alluded to in terms of the support for the government, support for the war effort? I'm, I really struggle with the answer to that question because war is terrible, is awful, is indescribably cruel, is random, is demonic. But I'm not a soldier, I've never been trained, I've never spent a day in the army or the services. I can see this from 20 years of working in areas where conflict, armed conflict was happening. I can see how horrible it is. But I don't want to sound warmongerish, you know, God's calling us to go to war. I, I, we must long for peace but not peace that increases the likelihood of more. We, most of us who've done any history would look back to the period running up to 1939 and see the Munich Agreement and recognize that although there are two, two sides of the argument um, in favor of it, that it bought time um, against it, that it sold out Czechoslovakia as it then was, real determination might have deterred Hitler and the Nazi rulers from taking the risk of starting a war. Equally, it might not. So there's no certainty in this, but I suppose I do feel that we need to show that we are committed as a nation to justice, to peace, to reconciliation on the basis of security and respect for international law with good hope of this terrible conflict not breaking out again in the near future. To do that you have to demonstrate that you are resilient and determined and 
that's where I am not capable of trotting out some answer that would probably be wrong. What will you hope to do when you go back to England in terms of continuing your support for this country? I suppose, uh, crucially, to say, don't forget Ukraine. There are so many, you know, as the Foreign Secretary Lord Cameron said quite recently, all the lights on the dashboard are flashing red. It is very easy to forget Ukraine, and yet there is no, no, put it the other way, there is a real link between what is happening in Ukraine, uh, what is happening in um, the Middle East, uh, in the Holy Land, and what is happening elsewhere in terms of uh, the struggle for a world in which going to war is not an option. Now we've struggled for that for centuries. We've struggled for that very consciously in the 20th century from 1918 and that slogan, the war to end all wars and a home fit for heroes, which was so desperately betrayed in the 20s and 30s through the Second World War, through the Cold War, and there was, for a moment, a glimmer of light in the 90s. That seems to have flickered out, and we must re-establish the commitment to a world where going to war is not the option, um, and where it will be treated very um, severely and where countries will regret a decision to start a war. You spent some time with uh, the leadership of the Orthodox Church of Ukraine whilst uh, in Kyiv. How important do you think their um, support for the war effort, and it's, it's clearly a very resolute support for the war mm. effort, um, how important do you think that is? I think it's hugely important. They talked about the great increase in the number of Christians in Ukraine over the last couple of years. Um, I think the church is in a place to, in uh, the churches of Ukraine, because there are many, uh, and are in a place to minister to the traumatized, to encourage the civilians, to lead in prayer and bring people united before God in Jesus Christ, to be humble before God and confident in God before the people. Um, and I think they're finding their voice and their footing. There was a much greater sense of assurance from um, the leaders of the OCU uh, this time than 14 months ago. As you alluded to, there are multiple churches in Ukraine, um, the two large Orthodox churches, the OCU and the UOC, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. The very contested 
situation between them uh, has come up multiple times uh, in conversation on this trip. Um, what do you make of those kind of tensions within the church, within churches, between churches, however you want to phrase it? Do you think that is something to grieve? Do you see any possibility of reconciliation in what you've witnessed? If we don't grieve over divisions in churches, there's something really wrong with us. If we don't grieve over situations in which two countries with a deep, each with a deeply Christian tradition of the same sort are killing each other in vast numbers, then there's something desperately wrong with us. So yes, we grieve. Secondly, we seek to encourage an acknowledgement of the need for the one voice, for the united voice, but not at any cost. You talked about the UOC, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, which its full title includes bracket Moscow Patriarchate, close bracket. The uh, RADA, the um, Ukrainian Parliament, did bring in a bill that specifically said that they should be, I'm, I'm sh shortening what, you know, to save words, but effectively shut down. Um, they then, in a later draft, the current draft, said that no organization which took instructions from um, the uh, invader, by which they mean obviously Russia, um, should be allowed to operate. Now, the UOC is responding to that um, by seeing that they need to cut their links with the Moscow Patriarchate. We need, to, from outside, to be very careful about how judgmental we are. You know, they've had the links for a very long time. We went through all this. You know, we find it in the 39 articles where it still says that, uh, what is it, that the Bishop of Rome shall have, have no jurisdiction in this realm of England or something like that, um, which is uh, a legacy of our own fights and wars of the 16th, 17th century. Now, so we have to be very careful about being judgmental, but I think, I hope and pray for a reconciliation within between these churches and that they find a way forward that enables them to love the people they're called to serve in Ukraine. They are both Ukrainian churches and to be those who uphold the morale of the people of Ukraine and to be those who look for ways forward that will eventually involve um, what will be a generations long process of reconciliation. In an interview that aired last night uh, that may lamentably get uh, slightly more um, listeners and viewers than, than our interview now <laughs> between uh, Tucker Carlson and, and Vladimir Putin. Yes, I, I, I think it may well. Vladimir Putin makes essentially a religious case for yes. the war in Ukraine, the invasion of Ukraine. 
You're asking me, um, do I think it's particularly heinous to um, advance religious arguments? I believe it's wrong. I don't believe they are, because I believe that at the heart of what we believe is we are, Jesus tells us to love God, love one another, love our neighbour, love our enemies. And, you know, the Ukrainians and the Russians come into one of those categories at least. There is no argument in favour of this invasion. There is an argument for in favour of debate, discussion, appeal, but there is no argument in favour of armed force. The invasion of Ukraine was a self-chosen, unjustifiable attack on a neighbour in a way that we see incredibly rarely. And we, and so no, I think it, uh, it's, I, well, I think it is wrong. The argument that he's using has been part of Russian thinking for a very, very long time. And we're talking centuries. Um, uh, the argument of Russian world of, of sort of Russian exceptionalism. That does not justify war. Nothing in Christianity can justify an unprovoked attack on another. But we live in a broken and fallen world and people do evil things the whole time. Um, so I think it is certainly heinous, it is wrong, this war is evil, the invasion was a desperately wrong thing to do. Desperately wrong. There is always opportunity to repent and turn from the way of violence, to restore land taken, to find a way to security and peace. That is always there, but it is a very difficult decision for uh, President Putin to take at this time. Last time I interviewed you was in Armenia at the end of a trip to mm. Rome and, and the South Caucasus. We're conducting this interview in Moldova uh, before flying back to the UK uh, at the end of a week in, in Ukraine. How do you make sure these kinds of trips are worth the time, the expense, mm. frankly, the danger as well? Well, there seems to me to be, first of all, a biblical and, and theological imperative to, as much as one is able, to stand with those who are oppressed. That's really, really important. Is the trip worthwhile? It's always very hard to say. It will be a long time before we can know that, uh, if ever. Um, it's something we think about, we analyse the risks involved, we look at relationships. It is about getting alongside those who are deeply oppressed. Not by our oppression, that's a different area of reconciliation that needs to be carried out, for instance, in safeguarding, which we're trying to do. 
but in the sense of being alongside and saying you're not forgotten we love you and um, demonstrating that how do we decide if it's worthwhile I suppose by the reactions we get you've seen those reactions they have I think all been very very positive that we listen to them we seek to express love for them we seek to say uh, we care for you we weep for you our hearts are broken at what is going on at the cost of this war for all those who are being killed and wounded if to finish I can just drag your mind to home and to some of the situations that that uh, await you there um, in the course of this trip there's been a huge amount of discussion about uh, the church and immigration mm. um, there's also a general synod coming up where safeguarding and yes. LLF will be back uh, in the spotlight if it ever left it do you sometimes wish you could just do one thing. <laughs> um, I either wish that or I could, or I wish I could bilocate like um, Hermione Granger in, in Harry Potter and be in several places at the same time. Yes. I mean, there's one of the dangers of social media. It's always assumed by some people that if you're focused on one thing, you don't care about the others, um, which is obviously wrong. There hasn't been a day this week where I've not been engaged in safeguarding work and seeking, working away at the issues there um, during air raids and other times. Um, there hasn't been a day this week when I haven't been thinking and trying to and praying for, not only for safeguarding and for people at home, but also for issues around the prayers of love and faith and those who are really struggling with the issues there and finding that enormously painful. Yes, I wish I could be in more than one place at one time, but I can't. It doesn't mean I don't love and care for the people involved in these horrible struggles which are as dominant in many people's lives and as genuinely painful and horrible as this terrible war is in people's lives here. Um, that is the case. It's not a case of prioritization, it's a case of just trying to handle a number of equally desperate and important areas as much as one can, uh, sequentially because you can only do one thing at a time. but. Uh, as much as one can and I'd also you didn't mention but you talked about the synod and safeguarding and LLF PLF this terrible crime and the victims who are still in enormous pain from the acid um, alkali attack in South London the whole question of immigration and um, how we make sure that the boats don't come across such a dangerous sea that we stop the boats, that the traffickers are rounded up and properly punished, and that we control and manage our borders humanely with justice and righteousness. You know, in the words of Micah, which just have been on my mind all week, all week, 
do justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly with your with your God. Archbishop Justin, thank you very much for your time.